Over the last few weeks, we've discussed the binding nature of various kinds of customs, customs that are based on geography, that are based on family, that are based on ethnic groups. Today I want to turn to a well-known assumption and explore its background, which is that when a couple marries, the default is that the wife adopts the minhagim of her husband. So where does this come from? Is, it ju- is this simply a norm, but it's not binding halakhically? Is it binding? Are there exceptions to the rule? That's what I want to explore. So the earliest source that deals with this explicitly is a Chuvas Tajbeitz in Chelegimel Siman Kuf Ayintet. And he writes as follows. If you have a man from one community who marries a woman from another community, there is no doubt that the wife is included with the husband for all obligations. She's included with her husband for a woman is like his body. His wife is like his body in all things. And therefore she becomes exempt from the community of her father. This is obvious and there is no doubt about this. Because you cannot have two people at one table who are divided in their dough. Where one, where something is forbidden to one and permitted to the other. In case where the communities disagree. So first, the Taj Bates introduces this as an obvious assumption. But if we carefully read the Tajbates, there are two arguments that he makes. One has nothing to do with whether a husband or wife's minhag is dominant. The first argument, not chronologically in the tshuva, but the first argument logically he makes is that a family, a familial unit, should have a unified custom. Then he assumes that because of the principle of Ishtoki Gufo and presumably the assumption that if the Minag has to follow one of them, it should be the husband, he assumes that that singular Minog that the family follows should be the husband's custom. The only safek he has is what happens if a woman is widowed. Does she continue to maintain the minhagim of her husband, or is she allowed, or obligated perhaps, to return to the minhagim of her father? And that's how he continues. The question is only if a woman is widowed, does she go back to her father's house like she was before she married? Or does she remain with her husband's home? It seems 
שאם יש לה זרע ממנו, תישאר עם זרעה בכלל חיוביהם ותקנותיהם, ואם אין לה זרע ממנו, תשוב לבין אביה. He suggests that if the woman has children, so she remains for the purpose of minhagim as part of her husband's home, and if she does not have children, so then she reverts to the customs of her family, of her father's house. The proof that he adduces for this is from the category of achilat shuma to the wife of a kohen, a non-kohen woman who marries a Kohen, while married, they are, she is permitted to eat truma. What happens if she is widowed? So the halacha is that if she has children, so then she remains a part of her husband's family, by virtue of the fact that she is now the mother of his children, of his heirs, therefore she remains, for halachic purposes, part of her new household. But if she has no children, then there is no anchor which keeps her in the Kohanic home. And for halachic purposes, she can no longer eat truma. The Tajbates uses this as a model to prove that in order for a woman to remain in a house after she's widowed, she requires children. It seems to be, as we noted, that the Taj Bates adduces no proof to the notion that a woman must follow her, her husband's minhag. The Taj Bates took it as a given. Again, for two reasons. One, that a family must have a unified practice. And the second is that if there's a unified practice, it, in general, it would follow the husband. The only thing he needed a proof for was... Under what circumstances is a widow still halachically considered part of her husband's family? And here he uses the model of truma to prove that a widowed woman, if she has children, still remains part of her husband's home. And he believes the same thing is true for minhagim. He adduces a second proof from Mesechet Smachot. In a case when a woman says that she wants to be buried near her children. So we bury her near her children if that's what she wanted rather than by her family. And in fact, the, her family can insist that she remain with her married family and be buried uh, with them. Another proof for the Taj Bates that... Well, at least when there are children, a woman remains part of her husband's home even after his demise. Rav Moshe Feinstein also assumes that it is a given that a wife keeps the minhagim of her husband. However, he provides a different argument. In Orachim Chelek Aleph, Tshuva Kufnun Chet, he argues that this is not simply because and not because a family must follow a single minhag, but rather he thinks that this is a derivative of the principle that we've been developing of minhag hamakom. And he says, if in fact the classic category of minhag is makom, what could be more primary than one's home? 
And when a woman marries, Ramosha argues, she moves into her husband's house, into his home, and therefore her place physically is his home. And therefore, just like a person who would move into a new town, the accepted halacha would be that he accepts, once he's actually moved with no intent to return, he accepts the chumrot of the new town and is permitted to take on the leniencies and give up the stringencies from his previous city. The same is true of a woman who marries. And Ramosha writes, Wherever she is, she's considered in the husband's home. Because that is the main, that is the essence of marriage, which is to be in the husband's place. And therefore, Ramosha argues that the reason that we assume that a woman takes on the minhagim of her husband is a derivative of the category of minhag hamako. However, this is not fully clear for two reasons. One is that it's not entirely clear that this principle is indeed binding. Or is as simple as the Tajbates and Rumosha would present. The second is that even amongst Boskim who fundamentally accept the category, they know that there may be exceptions to this category. Review Herzl Henkin in Chuvot Bnei Banim Chelegimel Chuva Choftet notes that the common practice is indeed to follow Rav Moshe, the Tashbates, and the like. However, he notes that there is a halacha that would point to, especially within the formulation of Rav Moshe, that would complicate the matter. And he notes that there is a machloket between Rabbi Nutam and the Maharami Rutenberg as to whether when they're is a dispute between a husband and a wife who come from different cities, whether we prioritize the husband moving to the wife's town or the wife moving to the husband's town. And if you look in Evan Ezer Siman Ayin Hay, the Ramah Sif Sif Zayin rule that we follow Rabbeinu Tam that the husband must move to the wife's town. Rav Henkin here notes that here we have a rule which is not like Ramoshe's, a borrowed derivation of Minhagamakom, but in fact the classic Minhagamakom. And he argues as follows that if in fact a woman can push her husband to move to her hometown, so in that case, the husband would end up following the customs that the wife had because they would now be members of the town where the husband, uh, where the wife lived. 
and therefore had her customs. And therefore you see that it is not so clear that the given under all circumstances would be that a husband can become binding on his wife. He further argues that it could be that it was the social norm that the marital home belonged to the husband. But that doesn't mean that you, you could not imagine a world in which a husband and wife financially own the home together, their physical home, and in parallel... One could then extrapolate to the halachic realm and say that perhaps a husband and a wife in a world where it's not the given, that the husband is in control of the home, that they would also share customs as well. And therefore what might be true in an economic sense, that you could have joint ownership of homes in a modern reality between a husband and a wife, perhaps the same thing is true metaphysically and religiously. Rav Henkin therefore concludes as follows. He believes that, barring any counter-considerations, we should follow the common tradition that a wife follows the husband's family traditions. However, he notes, therefore, that if there were a woman who specifically wanted to maintain her own family traditions. So then, as long as it does not impinge on their relationship, and she stipulates when they get married that she wants to continue her own family traditions, so then indeed it would be permitted. Because as we've said, Rav Henkin believes that while this is the norm, and has been for a long time that women follow the customs of their husband and they are entitled to do so, he does not believe that they are obligated to do so, again, assuming that it won't create tension, following presumably something along the Taj Bates, that having multiple customs in a home can be problematic, and that she specifies at the beginning of their marriage that she would like to do this. Rabbi Chaim Jachter, in an article in which he summarizes these issues, notes that in his family, his wife wanted to continue her family practice of waiting five hours between eating meat and milk rather than his family's practice of waiting six. And according to Rav Henkin, that is indeed a legitimate possibility. Some poskim, who, while they might not accept this as a general rule, argue that in a case in which a man who is a balchuva and therefore has no firm minhagim, marries into a family where his wife does have traditions, 
So then it is legitimate for the husband under those circumstances to follow the minhagim of his wife. And this is recorded in Tchumen, volume 6, in an article by Reb Chaim David Halevi. And Rabbi Jachter, in the article we mentioned before, cites from Zalman Nechemia Goldberg, who told Rabbi Jachter that he agrees with this ruling. Um, I'm sorry. Rabbi Chaim David Halevi says that if the wife is observant and the husband is not, the family should follow the wife's family traditions. And the Rav Zalman Nechemia Goldberg agreed with that. Rav Henkin, in an unpublished tshuva to Rabbi Jachter, added, and I quote from Rabbi Jachter's article, that if the husband is a convert or bal tshuva, and the wife's family has an unbroken chain of halachic observance, the husband must adopt his wife's family traditions. He writes, though, that it might be more appropriate for the husband to follow the prevalent traditions of the community to which he belongs, Rav Henkin counsels that the husband should seek the guidance of his Rav in choosing the most appropriate approach to this issue. And therefore, following Rav Henkin's approach, where the given may be that women follow their husband's customs, and indeed if a woman would like to, she is entitled to, in a case where there are extenuating circumstances either because the husband does not have minhagim to speak of, or in Reb Chaim David Alevi's case, or Zalman Nechemi Goldberg's case, the husband is not himself observant, and therefore the wife has minhagim and he doesn't really. So in those circumstances, the, you would follow the wife's minhagim. And additionally, Rav Hankin argues that a woman who feels strongly about keeping a particular minog from her family, as long as she stipulated at the beginning of marriage, she is indeed permitted to maintain her family customs. There are a minority of poskim who contend that in fact a woman, when she accepts her husband's minagim, it is only lechumra. It is only the stringencies of her husband. But if her husband's customs are more lenient, so then she accepts his stringencies and the stringencies that she brings from her family. This position is recorded in the Chuvot. Shraga Hameir Balacha Chelek Bet Shuva Lamidhei where he writes as follows. He quotes the position The question has come to me many times of a husband and wife from different communities, from different Eidot, who have different customs. One lenient and one stringent. Should she follow her husband for all customs, stringent and lenient, or only stringent? Hinini posek rofamim, shirak 
kiva'ala velo likula. Under most circumstances, I rule that a woman, in fact, only accepts the stringencies of her husband's customs, but not the leniencies and those she maintains from her family. Rabbavadi Yosef cites this tshuva by Shraga, in, from the tshuva Shraga Hameir and rejects it out of hand, arguing that this is not the case, but the accepted minhag is that a woman is entitled, not just obligated to accept the stringencies, but that she is entitled or perhaps halakhically advised or, oblig- or, or obliged, depending on which formulation you take, to accept her husband's minhagim, and therefore she accepts his customs, lekula and lechomra. There are, however, certain exceptions. Even according to the post-game, that a wife is supposed to take on the customs of her husband, certain post-game distinguish between cases where it is a family minhag and a minhag, a practice which completely relates to her privately. Ramosha Feinstein, who we've already seen, assumes that halachically a wife must keep her husband's minhagim, argues in Evan Ezra Chelek Bet, Siman Yud Bet, that when it is a minhag which relates only to the woman, she can indeed maintain her practices. And therefore she says, The Tamil Chacham who wrote to him maintained that it was problematic to wear wigs as a means of covering a woman's hair when she's married. But his wife did not, her, her mother had worn wigs. Moshe therefore writes that the woman is entitled in such a case to maintain her own family's minhagim. And you will find that there are other instances in which postgame who fundamentally agree that a woman should take on the practices of her husband, they will argue that this is primarily in cases where it is a family minhag and not things that only relate to her where she's entitled to maintain her practice. I assume, though he does not say this explicitly, that the logic behind this is based on the point we saw from the Tajbates before, which is that prior to the issue of who takes whose minhagim, There's an even more fundamental question, which is, should a family have variant customs within the home? And the Taj Bait says, no, it seems problematic. But perhaps one can argue that that's only a custom which is a family custom. Do you or do you not only eat Pat Yisrael? There it's important that you have the same custom because it would be odd and probably bad for the family dynamic or chinuch if Every time you sat down for dinner, the husband, the father, felt that food was permitted and the wife thought it was prohibited, or vice versa. But that type of consideration is less 
relevant when you're talking about something that only directly affects one member of the couple. And perhaps that is the argument or the logic that draws Ramosha's distinction between customs that relate only to her and other customs. Now, we must push this slightly farther. If we assume that a wife can or should take on her husband's minhagim, we still must ask how exactly What is the mechanism by which she gives up the stringencies from her family practices that she maintained before she got married? And here we have three possibilities. One possibility is to say that while a son may, depending on our previous Urim, under most circumstances, accept and have a presumption that he will accept the customs of his family, a woman never has such an assumption because the norm is that she follows her husband's minhagim. And therefore, even without a hatarat nedir, without any formal removal, the very fact that she marries is enough to allow her to give up the stringencies from her father's home, from her family, and accept the new paradigm from her husband. Many poskim go in this direction. For example, this is presented in the Chuvat Admat Kodesh of Ramosha Mizrahi, Chelek Bet, Siman Bet. It's quoted in Rabbi Baruch Simon's excellent work on Minhagim, on page Peivav. And I'll read you now from the summary. Simply, We must distinguish between the customs of sons in their family practices and daughters. A son, we assume, accepts his father's practices as a vow. Again, this is a Simon's summary. Since she always knows that she may marry some with different practices... She never has in mind to maintain her husband's practices, or father's practices, rather. Therefore, there's a presumption that everything she does is without the status of a neder. And therefore... She need not 
to hataret nidarim, to remove the neder. He goes farther, and this is a quote from the Admat Kodesh, that he thinks, He thinks that a husband can even enforce this. At the other extreme, there are poskim who believe that while it is true, perhaps, that a wife normally takes the practices of her husband, that does not change the fact that she used to be bound to the practices she had growing up. And therefore, while she's allowed to switch, she needs a tarat nidarim. If one looks in Perek Zion of Sidor Pesach Kehel Chata, in Ot Yud Gimel, he writes this, that while he does not believe that an Ashkenazi can give up the minhagim of being an Ashkenazi, again, something that we've addressed in previous weeks, and thinks that an Ashkenazi is therefore bound to continue in the prohibited practice, his context is kitniot. He writes that Ashkenaziyah and Yisrael is faradi yecholalin hok beheter kitniot im zeuratzon be'alah. If the husband would like his wife to join him in eating kitniot so that they can go, let's say, to her, his parents' house or eat the food that he's used to on Pesach and would like his kids to have kitniot, etc. So she has every right to follow the kulot. However, but he thinks she must do and therefore he seems to think that again, while it is legitimate for a wife to accept even the kulot of her husband, he does maintain a certain level of binding nature to the minagim she had before she was married, and therefore suggests or argues that she should do hatarat nidarim. A middle position is found in Rebavadia Yosef, and this is in Chazon Ovadia. Rebavadia argues. that it may not be obligatory, but ideally a woman should be matira neder, she should do hatarat nidarim as she is divesting herself of the chumrot from her father's home. And this is what he writes. Isha kitniot, um, a woman who maintains this chumra, sorry, goes a little bit later. There, sorry, and pay Zion of Chazon of Vadyan Pesach, he writes, If she wants to uproot it, she wants me to vatel minhag horeha. It's better that she should do hatarat nidarim. And this is true of all of the chumrot 
that Ashkenazim have over Svaradim, especially in Pesach. That a woman may, after Hatarat Nidarim, follow the leniencies of her husband. Now he says, Tov Yoter, Tov Nachon, Yoter Tov, Nachon Shetaseh, it's proper. And therefore it seems that he does not think that formally she is bound to do such a thing, but it is the right thing to do. So here, to summarize what we've seen, we've seen post-skim, the Tajbay to assume, one, that families should have a single minhag, and two, that the given is that it's the husband's, either because, because of Nishto Kigufo, or because of Moshe Feinstein's argument that this is her makom. Following that paradigm, the Tajbates further argued that she maintains this practice of following her husband's minagim even when she's widowed, as long as she has children, using the model from truma and from burial to claim that a woman keeps her place in her husband's home even after his demise if she has children. We saw that Rev Henkin argues on this paradigm, noting that when it comes to a machloket of where to live, the wife actually has the upper hand, according to Rabbeinu Tam. Nevertheless, he maintains that in normal circumstances, this is the proper thing to do. However, he notes that since it is not formally binding, if a woman insists, she can maintain her own minhagim, but should stipulate it in advance. And as long as it does not create tension within the home. We saw Reb Chaim David Halevi and Reb Zalman Goldberg who say in a case when a woman is religious and her husband is not, so then the customs that she has are the ones the family should follow. And Rav Henkin went farther that in a case of a Baal Tshuva who marries a woman who already has minhagim, they can follow the, the wife's minhagim. We then noted that even according to Ramosha Feinstein, there are cases in which because a minhag only affects the wife, she's allowed to continue her practices, even if you think in general a wife should follow the husband's minhagim. And lastly, we saw a three-way dispute as to whether this transition does not require any sort of hataret nidarim because it was a given that a woman knew she would only keep her father's minhagim until she was married. And therefore, once she's married, she can accept the kulot and the chumrot from her husband's house without a tarat nidarim. We saw that in the tshuva of the Admat Kodesh. The other extreme we saw in the Yisair Pesach Kilchetel that she does need to be materet neder. And then we saw Rabbi Yosef who says that it is better to. We noted from the Shraga Meir that there is a minority voice in Poskim that a woman only accepts the chumrot of her husband but cannot accept the kulot and is in fact bound to continue the minhagim of her uh, husband. Um, uh, sorry, except the chumrod from her father's house in addition to the chumrod of her husband. To close, I will simply note that while these are the general rules Many post-game do raise possible uh, distinctions. And there is 
a voice in poskim who say that there are certain types of customs that uniquely did not devolve upon the place, but devolved upon individuals and their descendants. And therefore, such minhagim, they claim, such chumrot, they claim, will follow a woman even after she gets married, even if in every other issue she follows her husband's minhagim. And there are several poskim who argue that one such minhag is kitniyo, and there are others, however, who disagree. A summary of these issues can be found in Imre Baruch An Min Hagim from page Pevav through page Pechet, as well as in the Sidur Pesach Kilchitel. There are discussions in Poskim about the waiting of five days before counting Shivanakim when a woman is a Nida. And other specific minhagim that the poskim address that may be exceptional. However, for the most part, poskim assume that whatever they hold of one minhag will apply for all minhagim with the possible exception of the category that Ramosha Feinstein introduces of customs that are defined as purely relating to the woman, where even if they think in general Yue follows her husband's minhagim, and those would be uh, exceptions. So hopefully this provided a bit of a summary of why it is that the custom has developed that women follow their husband's minhagim, while also noting that this assumption is not universal, and even amongst those poskim, assume it's universal, there are exceptions that have been carved out by various poskim, and in any given circumstance that one would like to deal with this issue, one should approach his or her poskim to discuss the specific ramifications for their family.